Please turn with me to today's passage, which comes from Acts chapter 7, verse 54, to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Excited to continue on in our sermon series on the book of Acts. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts for the past few weeks or so, um, and we've really seen the, uh, the burst and the movement of the first church recorded in Scripture. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus ascending into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends onto the apostles and all the believers of the church. And we see an incredible movement by the church, an incredible mission of the church, an incredible purpose of the church. We see the apostles and the disciples preaching God's word and evangelizing to the people. And at the same time, they're caring for others. They're caring for the overlooked. They're caring for the lost. They're meeting the practical needs of all who come across them. They, they feed the hungry. They heal the sick. They care for the widows and for the orphans and those who are underserved. And so the church was radically winsome and attractive. On one hand, the church was counter to the culture. But at the same time, on the other hand, the church was incredibly attractive to the culture. And because of this, the church was shaking up the religious systems that were already put in place. And so there was clearly religious leaders, people who came from the Jewish tradition, who were very much hostile towards the church. They didn't like what was going on. They, they didn't welcome and receive what God was doing through his people. And so here in Acts chapter 7, we see a story of a man named Stephen. Stephen was appointed to be really one of the first deacons of the church. He was called and appointed to, to serve others, to, to care for others in very practical and tangible ways. But at the same time, he was also a preacher. He brought God's word with power and conviction. And so here in Acts 7, Stephen is arrested for blasphemy and for giving false witness and testimony about Jesus Christ being the resurrected Lord, King, and Savior for all sinners. And he's dragged into uh, the court, the religious courts, and, and dragged into um, the court to face trial amidst the Sanhedrins. And the Sanhedrins was just a court and assembly. And he's being convicted and accused of a crime that is punishable by death. And so here in Acts chapter 7, at the end of Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at Stephen's challenge to the religious, his challenge to the religious crowds. Second, we're going to look at Stephen's poise. What allowed Stephen to be poised even though he, was, he knew he was going to die? 
And third, we're going to look at Stephen's plea. Even as he's getting persecuted, Stephen pleads and prays to God. His challenge, his poise, and his plea. First, we're going to look at Stephen's challenge to the religious crowds. Who was persecuting Stephen? Why was he on trial? As mentioned, Stephen was preaching the word of God. He was being bold with God's word. Earlier in chapter 7, he gives a speech that's recorded, and it's over 50 verses long, and it's one of the longest speeches that you'll find in the entire New Testament. It's a detailed account of what Stephen was saying to the religious crowd. And the speech is so long that you could probably do a sermon series just on his speech alone, but for your sake, I'm just going to quickly summarize this. What Stephen was essentially saying is that you who are religious— You who follow the Jewish tradition, you who uphold the law, you value the law more than you actually value God. You trust in your own obedience. You trust in what you do externally and outwardly, how well you can be a good person more than the one who is righteous, the one who's perfect, the one who's holy. For the religious crowds, They were more concerned with how they were perceived by others, how well they were received through their religiosity, through their obedience, through how well they could be good people. And so Stephen is challenging them that although you uphold the law, you cannot keep the law. Although you honor God's law, you do not honor God. And so Stephen, while challenging the religious The religious respond to his challenge. They arrest him, they seize him, they capture him, and they bring him up on charges on blasphemy and giving false witness and testimony. The ironic thing here is Stephen isn't just sharing the bad news with the religious. On one hand, he's saying that you uphold the law, you think you keep the law, and yet you can't obey the law perfectly. The standard that is the law. But someone has. Someone came down to fulfill the law perfectly. He was perfectly obedient, perfectly faithful, and he died for you. Stephen was sharing the good news of the gospel. And yet, although when the religious heard it, it was terrible news. Why? Stephen was speaking into the very core and center and nature of the religious crowds. For the religious crowds, what was more important than God himself then God's grace and love and kindness and mercy shown to them was how well they're able to obey. What they can offer God, not what God has already offered them. And so Stephen is speaking boldly. He's speaking with courage. And he's being bold, not with his own words, not his own ability to speak, but he's being bold and courageous with God's word. He's using it as a sword to cut at their hearts. He had every reason to be fearful because he knew he was going to die. And yet, he stood his ground and he remained bold. He spoke truth into the lives of the religious without being concerned and consumed with the consequences that were about to come to him. Now, this text is incredibly, really difficult to take in. We see Stephen, who was appointed by the apostles, and he's being faithful. 
He's serving others. He's preaching God's word. And yet, the result for his life is death. How can we explain that? How can we understand that? How can we reason that? The reality is Stephen had something far greater than just being alive. Stephen didn't just trust in his own life, his own abilities, his own talents, his own intelligence, his own gifting on being a preacher, or his own goodness and righteousness, and his own obedience and his own faithfulness. He trusted in the one who was perfectly obedient. He trusted in the one who was perfectly faithful. And because he trusted the perfect and obedient son of God, son of man, he was able to be bold. He was able to be courageous. Stephen is being bold and courageous with God's word, and he's speaking truth into those who are religious in his day. Oftentimes, when we just consider how we do life with one another, speaking truth can be one of the most difficult things for us personally. Oftentimes, we're consumed by fear and the approval of others and not being accepted and loved by the person that we're called to speak truth into. Stephen had every reason to fear because he was going to be persecuted for what he was saying. And we live lives of fear because we're afraid that we won't be liked. That is what is gripping us and paralyzing us and causing us to be still when we're called to move towards people, to speak into them, to speak life into them. Furthermore, look at how the religious crowds respond to the truth that Stephen was speaking. It says that they were full, that they were furious. They were full of anger and full of rage, and they were gnashing their teeth at Stephen. And they covered their ears and screamed loudly so that they could no longer hear what Stephen was actually saying to him, to them. You see what's happening here with the religious crowds. They lose all sense of their humanity and become almost like animals and beasts. They're snaring at Stephen. They're gnashing their teeth at him. And they're completely ignoring the truth that is being spoken into their lives. And so further on, Stephen calls the religious crowd a stiff-necked people, those with uncircumcised hearts. And what he's really just saying is, you are a hardened people. I am coming with you with God's word, his truth, his grace, and his love towards you, and you don't want to hear it. You stiff-necked people, you're hardened towards the very God that you say that you love. But the reality is, Their love was not for God, it was for themselves. Their religiosity was far more important than the obedience of Jesus. Stephen was presenting the resurrected king to them, and yet they denied him. When people challenge you and speak truth into your life, how do you receive it? How do you take it in? When somebody is addressing your character, your own religiosity, your own hypocrisy, your own judgment, how well do you receive in the words from your friends, from your family, from the people that you love? This pattern that the religious crowds are showing is a pattern that we often live out. 
Oftentimes, when people uh, directly speak into us, the first thing that we do is get defensive. We make excuses. We try to justify our behavior. We try to justify our hearts. We even try to reason with the people that are speaking to us. And in fact, sometimes we'll even turn it around and we'll persecute their character. We'll murder them. We might not throw stones at them. We might not physically kill them, but we kill their character. We kill their reputation. And we go behind their, their backs and speak behind their back. Gossip. And oftentimes we actually try to get other people to side with us, to support us and go against them. Stephen wasn't just speaking and challenging the religious elite of his time. He's talking to us. He's talking in the ways that we do not receive truth, the ways that we've been called to receive them. He's challenging us to be bold and courageous and to live not in response to fear, but enduring and living through the fear that sets, that's set in our hearts. This is gospel community in action. This is a community that's able to speak life and truth into one, an, one another. This is a community that's able to listen to the realities of not just us being sinners, but how much we're loved through the saving work of Jesus. We need this to be a gospel community in action. We need this to grow and be on mission and live out our purpose that God has given us. Friends, Stephen wasn't just challenging the religious elite of his time. He was challenging us. And we need to take in what he's saying here. But we also have to realize that Stephen's challenge was the reason why that he died, the reason why he was persecuted. And so what kept Stephen poised amidst persecution and death? Second, we're going to look at the poise of Stephen. What gave Stephen poise and allowed him to be at peace even though he knew he was going to die. When the religious crowds grab Stephen, they drag him out of the city to be stoned, a gruesome death. And what does Stephen do? Stephen looks up and the heavens open up. And there he sees God's glory and he sees Jesus Christ, the son of man, standing at the right hand of God. And this is significant and something that we all have to pay attention to. Because whenever Jesus is referred to as being at the right hand of God, he's described to be as being seated. And the reason why he's described to being as seated is because it represents his finished work on the cross. That there is no longer anything that needs to be done for your salvation, for your forgiveness, and for your redemption. And so why is he standing here when Stephen looks up into the heaven? He's not saying that the cross is incomplete. He's not saying that the work of the cross is not good enough for Stephen. He's doing two things here as he's standing at the right hand of God. Stephen prays to God and he says, Lord, receive my spirit. And so on one hand, Jesus is standing to welcome and receive Stephen into his presence. He turns his face towards Stephen, so he shows Stephen his glory. But on the other hand, Jesus is standing at the throne of God because he's Stephen's witness. He's Stephen's representative. He's Stephen's advocate. Whenever you have to go to court here in America, and hopefully none of you have to go to court and be a defendant, 
and deal with that uh, experience. But um, there are a few reasons why you would ever stand in a courtroom. The first would be when the judge walks into the room, uh, everybody who's in the courtroom would stand up and they would pay respect and honor the judge that was walking in. Uh, the second reason would be when a witness takes the stand uh, and takes an oath, he's, he's standing and promising to tell the truth. And the third reason would be when an attorney stands to defend their, their client and be their representative. And so what we're seeing here, as Stephen is in the religious earthly courts, he sees that he has a greater representative and a greater advocate in the heavenly court that means far more greater than what's ha- what he's experiencing on earth. He has a perfect representative and a perfect advocate who is interceding for him in that very moment. And so we see that Stephen, although he has every reason to be fearful, although he has every reason to be afraid, he's poised. He's at peace. He's not gripped by the fear of death. Now, am I saying Stephen wasn't afraid? Stephen didn't feel fear? Of course he did. He was about to die. For any of us in his situation, we would feel fear. We would be afraid. And yet, Stephen did not respond with his fear. He did not respond out of being afraid. He responded to what he knew was true and from God's word. There is nothing another person can say or do to you that takes away from what God has said about you and done for you. You can always trust in that. No matter your circumstance, no matter your suffering or hardship, or even if you go through persecution, you're able to trust in what you know to be true about you and about what God says about you. Whether you've experienced suffering or hardship or even persecution in the past, some of you have gone through a lot. Some of you have experienced tremendous hardship and tremendous suffering. Some of you will go through suffering. Some of you will experience hardships. Some of you may even experience persecution. But then there's also some of you who who lives your life, you live your life to do everything you can to avoid suffering, to avoid hardship to avoid difficulty. And you might live your life long enough to avoid any circumstantial suffering in your life. But the one thing that you cannot avoid is death. That is life's guarantee. No no matter how much time you spend on your relationships, on your careers, on your education, those things will never save you from dying. And when you die, that judgment will come onto your life and God will take account of how you've lived. And when that judgment day comes, who will be your representative? Will it be the resurrected King Jesus who lived perfectly, who obeyed perfectly, fulfilling the law and dying the death that sinners deserves for your sake? Or will it be your own ability to be good your religiosity, your obedience, 
Will you be your own representative? Will you trust in your talents, your gifts, your good looks, your intelligence, your social status to represent you when you face judgment? Your friends, your family, your career, your 401k investments, your cryptocurrencies and NFTs that you spend so much time and money researching and investing in, those things will not save you. I don't even know how a digital drawing of a gorilla is going to get you paid, but that's a whole nother issue. We oftentimes just trust in our earthly treasures, the things that we can obtain for ourselves to bring us a sense of identity and security that it was never meant to do. Friends, Stephen was able to be poised because he had a great and perfect representative and advocate in the heavenly courts that mattered far more than the earthly trial that he was experiencing in that moment. He was able to trust that he had Jesus, the perfect representative and the perfect advocate who was interceding for him. That's how Stephen was poised. That's how he was at peace, even amidst death. Lastly, we're going to look at Stephen's plea and Stephen's prayer. As Stephen is being persecuted, as he's about to be stoned, Stephen doesn't just seek mercy from his prosecutors. He doesn't ask them to hold back, or he doesn't try to find a way to run away from the situation that he was in. He wasn't trying to escape death. What he does is he submits to God. He prays. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. But right after that, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's doing something amazing here. He's praying for his murderers. He's praying for his persecutors. He's praying for the very ones that is putting him to death. And in verse 58 and in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse 58 and in chapter 8, verse 1 in our passage today, we see a brief mention of Saul. And for some of us who um, have studied the Bible, we know that uh, Saul was a Pharisee. Um, he would eventually have a personal uh, relationship and interaction with the risen King Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. Uh, but here, he was a witness and he was present and he approved of Stephen stoning. Saul was a Pharisee. He was this religious leader that Stephen was challenging. He was the one who was a witness to seeing Stephen about to be murdered. And yet, what do you see Stephen do? You see Stephen advocate for Paul. Or Saul. You see him pray for Saul. You see him pray for his mercy and his forgiveness. And even earlier in Acts chapter 7, we see such a detailed account of Stephen's speech, the one that was over 50 verses long, literally word for word. But Luke, the writer of Acts, was not present when Stephen made that speech. So how did the writer Luke actually know what to write? It's because he was mentored and discipled by the apostle Paul. And so Paul was there, and it had a tremendous impact on Paul's life. And in Acts chapter 9, when, he, when Jesus Christ appears to Saul, he appears to Saul, and Saul is convicted. He has a personal encounter with Jesus. But did you know that 
Saul's conversion actually started with a prayer. It started with an advocate, someone to represent him, even though he was persecuting, even though he would persecute the church. Stephen is being dragged out of the city, about to be stoned, and he prays. He prays to Jesus, Lord, receive my spirit. And he also prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's praying for his persecutors. He's advocating for them. He's interceding for the very ones who's about to murder him. What we're seeing in this story is backwards and upside down from everything that life teaches us. Life teaches us if, if someone is attacking you, judging you, persecuting you, then you attack them back. The very nature of being able to demonstrate grace when you're receiving wrath is a supernatural thing. And we're seeing that Stephen is demonstrating that. As he's being murdered and persecuted, he's praying for the ones that is murdering him. He's actually mirroring the very character and nature and love of God. Because we know previous to Stephen being stoned that Jesus would be taken out of the city. Stephen was taken out of the city and dragged out. Jesus was taken out of the city and he dragged his cross. What allowed Stephen to make this plea and this prayer? We have to realize on one hand, Jesus was Stephen's representative. He was his advocate. But before that, he became Stephen's substitute. Stephen was not poised because of anything that he brought to the table. He was not courageous or bold because he was so talented and gifted and he could just speak his way out of a certain situation. He was bold, he was courageous, he was poised, and he was at peace because he had a representative and an advocate who was perfect. And that perfect representative and that perfect advocate became his perfect substitute. Stephen's dragged out to be persecuted and murdered and stoned a gruesome death. Jesus is dragged out of the city while he's dragging his cross. Stephen is praying to God, and God's face, his glory is, is upon Stephen. And Stephen is receiving God's glory. He's being received himself. And as he's praying for the very people that, it, that are killing him, we are reminded in the ways that Jesus prayed. That as Jesus was taken up on the cross, he looks to God the Father and he says, Father, forgive them. Jesus was also taken out and killed for a crime that he did not commit. And Jesus on the cross would take on the full judgment, the full wrath, the full punishment of sin for your sake. This is the glorious story of the gospel. The moment before Jesus died on the cross, he looks to God the Father and he says, Lord, to your hands I commit my spirit. But do you know what happens to Jesus? The heavens close. God's face turns away so that you would be received. This is the good news that we are able to sing praises about, to delight in. That no matter where you are today, if you're a religious person, if you're someone who's banking on your obedience, your ability to obey the law, your ability to be good, that you have something far greater. You have a far greater representative who's perfect and who dies in your place. 
Friends, this is the only power and news that's going to allow us to be enabled to be a gospel community in action. To continue to share the gospel from the people that we come across with every day. To live out the realities and truths of God's word. It's all about Jesus, who was, about, who was your representative, your advocate, and your substitute. Why? Because he loved you that much. On the cross, we see Jesus take on our sin, take on the punishment of our sin, take on the wrath and judgment of, of our sin. And at the same time, he gives you his glory. He gives you his righteousness. There's two exchanges happening on the cross. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, the apostle Paul, who had a radical transformation and change because of grace, writes, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You're made righteous not based off of what you do, but what Christ has already done for you. Will you trust that? Will you put your faith in that? Will you be poised amid suffering when you face death, when life doesn't turn out the way that you wanted to? The reality is because we have a perfect substitute and a perfect advocate, we're now able to be bold ourselves. We're now able to speak truth into the lives of others without fear, without living in response to the fear that sets in our hearts. We're also able to be humble enough to hear the words that people are bringing to us, even if we don't like it. And instead of getting defensive and gnashing our teeth at those who bring the truth to us, we're able to receive it. And we're able to stand poised and at peace no matter what life throws at us. Not trying to escape suffering, not trying to escape persecution maybe, not trying to escape death, but to be able to endure it, to be able to last through it. Because we have a God, our high priest, who's not only our representative, who's not only our advocate, who's not only our substitute, but he also sympathizes with us. Do you know how? He takes up his cross, and he does that for you. Let's pray.